Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, and our chat room monitor, Andrea, await you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Emphasis on the forward slash chat, I'm told. We do have some truly great folks that join us every week, so Ravinder... Tell us all about that chat room, please. We have a lovely chat room and a lovely group of people. It's uh, very educational. It's very fun. It's very inspiring. It's lots of things. So do come and join us. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right. Since uh, our show this week is all about gotchas, in this week's spotlight, I wish to discuss authenticity. The journey of life is really about living into our authentic selves. The first big gotcha is to hide that fact from us, to enculturate us in ways that foster the interest of society as a whole, or an elite few, while organizing the rest of us to conform and thereby consume. And that's exactly what most of us do with our lives. We consume. We consume more goodies, more information. And in doing so, separate ourselves from our real selves. I once enjoyed a wonderful lecture from Professor Carl Lepresh. In the lecture, he spoke of the four human drives, what he referred to as the four F's, fight, flight, feeding, and the effing word. The students he was addressing were members of law enforcement, so the F word, in place of fornicating, got a big laugh. I have never forgotten the four F's in this context, because at that time I was working on a paper having to do with why there was so much interest in getting more. More money, more power, more time, more, more, more. I consider the more to be a modern human adaptation, or if you will, a fifth F, a fifth force, forming yet another human drive. Perhaps we have, as a species, always had a more drive. But if so, I'm quite confident that never in humanity's history has it exerted such a powerful influence as that we witness today. I remember a conversation with a friend years ago about our economy and cash flow. We happened to be at a home share. We had a team of salespeople at a booth offering security devices. There were many displays within the tent, and when you looked around, you could see an air pump in the corner, literally keeping the tent up. My friend directed my attention to the pump and informed me that cash flow was like the pump. Lose the cash and the tent will come down. Consumption has become the air in the tent for our economy. Most of this consumption must now come from the private sector, and that means you. Advertisers are charged with motivating you to buy. Marketing experts develop more and more products and services, and banks create credit power so you can just charge it. 
individual debt increases, national debt increases, more money is printed, and we are told that more consumption is needed to pay back the interest on the debt, and perhaps one day even the debt itself. It is this circularity to which more and more individuals give their lives, which diminishes who we are as human beings. Immanuel Kant, the great Prussian philosopher, who has been credited with making philosophy professional, considered the human condition to be similar to the way in which Copernicus thought about the solar system. Copernicus observed the solar system and concluded that Ptolemy's idea of Earth-centric solar system made no sense. But with the sun at the center, the observations did make sense. Kant did something like this with human beings. He placed consciousness, the mind of man, mankind itself, in the center of his inquiry. And the individual rights of mankind have been central rather than peripheral ever since. No longer was mankind seen as tangential to meaning. Rather, mankind was seen as central to the meaning of everything. One of Kant's central messages and challenges that is as relevant today as ever is dare to know. Dare to know. Modernity has placed an emphasis on our individual rights and freedoms, and this can arguably be traced to the works of Kant. As consumption animals eager to ring yet another bell and gain another token or prize, anxious that we may miss out on the next big deal, or the last one, so anxious that we will indebt ourselves for years to have something we quickly forget we ever needed, a consum- as consumption animals gathering things that when we look around we see no reason to keep, we lose our freedom because we surrender our true identity. In place of true needs, we often have a whole host of needs, and put that word in question marks, that define our free time as well as motivate the hours we put into our work. It's all too often about what we get if we just give more of ourselves to these money-making needs. It's no wonder that modern societies are experiencing such a dramatic rise in the need for psychological care. When people turn off from themselves and fail to take time to reflect or become fully mindful, they accept counterfeit roles that are not very different from the roles of those lost in subconscious repository as portrayed in the movie by the same name. In The Matrix, everyone lived in an artificial reality, so immersed in their roles that the vast majority had no idea who they really were. I have argued before that we have lost so much of ourselves that today we are driven by this fifth force, more. We want more of this and more of that, more, more, more. And all the while we find less and less satisfaction and much less of ourselves in the process. Is this intentional or just a matter of how our culture has evolved? That question is irrelevant to the subject at hand because the first gotcha is to separate you from you. As Artie Lang says in his book, The Politics of Experience, we are not able even to think adequately about the behavior that is at the annihilating edge. 
But what we think is less than what we know. What we know is less than what we love. What we love is so much less than what there is. And to that precise extent, we are so much less than what we are. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? You know, as you're talking about more and more, I'm reminded of the uh, Dr. Zeus book. Um, I don't remember the actual title. I think it's Left Foot, Right Foot, <laughs> here, More and More Feet, 24 Feet, Here Come More and More. And, and stuff is very much like that because added into the problem of the desires to have more stuff, we have the problem of what to do with the stuff and I think everyone has the same problem if you're organizing your house or whatever. There is just stuff everywhere. And, yeah, the the whole programming for more and more is absolutely crazy, absolutely ludicrous, but we are getting buried in it. We are getting buried in it, and if we don't stop, you know, we'll just go crazy because there isn't time to think when you have, when you're just involved in stuff. I have to have this, I have to have that. You put pressure on yourself. You have to have a certain standard of living. You have, you know, there's just, it's a, it's a wild, wild ride. It is indeed. And we hear lots of conversation about prosperity and success and, you know, economy. And one of the things I'd like us to think about when we think about more is less. Now, that may seem, you know, a little bit uh, confusing, but if I take just some of my time to instead of pursue more of this, that, and the other out there, and instead to seek less by investing the time in understanding who I am, what I'm here for, what my life means, what really matters to me, then I think we we change our perspective. There's nothing I don't think, and I, I, you know, because you know me and you know that there was a point that uh, weren't sure that the next day I was going to be here. Uh, There's nothing more informing than having that moment when you realize there's less time than you thought there was. And you realize that all of the mores weren't those that mattered. What really mattered were the things that you're going to invest all that you have in that, quote, less time that still remains. Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Our last live show featured Jay Richards, and we discussed race relations in America. Joni wrote, I wonder if we'll ever get things right when I hear that psychologists are unable to train themselves out of a bias. Is this something just ingrained in our culture? CB commented how deeply embedded the social programming must be that even being aware of the bias, it's hard to overcome. Mark wrote, While I agree that group prejudice exists, it is important to point out that man's essential characteristics are universal, transcending both culture and identity group. In other words, that which defines our essential nature transcends our race, religion, nationality, culture, economic class, gender, and so forth. Unfortunately, 
The conventional view currently held by many is that man is a social construct defined either by his culture or identity group. His thoughts and actions are determined by the group. He or she is not considered an individual who can think independently of the group. Moreover, when we judge someone exclusively by their culture or identity group, we are committing the fallacy of division. This fallacy occurs when one reasons that something true for the whole must also be true of its instances. If we are to overcome group prejudice, we will have to discard the notion that people are not individuals who can think for themselves, but emergent aspects of their culture or identity group, which itself is inherently prejudicial. We will never overcome group prejudice by appealing to the same false view that has given rise to it. Amen. Very well said, Mark. The fact of the matter is, one of the things that we don't see promoted in this culture is this notion of, of self-independence, autonomy. We, we do see more of the, the kind of thing that I write about in my book, Gotcha, where the young child in, in the kindergarten, you know, they receive their, their, their first pencils and erasers and they're all excited about going to school and maybe they even have a special pencil box and you dress them all up and and you take them and and they arrive in their class and the very first thing the teacher does is she tells them put all their pencils and erasers in this one basket so there will be plenty for everyone we'll all share and share alike and what is the message in that when you think about that message, that can be pretty traumatic for a lot of young people. Okay, moving on, Richard remarked, I have two black minister friends who were slammed to the ground in grocery stores in Spokane because they looked like a suspect. My assertion remains pretty consistent. We are tribal creatures by genetics. We over-identify with our own tribes and have low to little empathy for other tribes. I can only hope that awareness of this dynamic would lessen its expression in society. Amen. And once again, we're right back to, you know, the individualistic versus the hive mentality. James wrote, I loved your show with Jay Richards and your last question, which I don't think was really answered. How do we turn this around? What should we be doing as individuals? Thoughts on that, Rev? I think you go out and mix with other groups. That's how you do it, you know. So if you're in a community that's predominantly white, you know, well, make an effort to get friends of other colors and vice versa because it's not one directional. You know, lots of people do um, prefer to be within their own community. You know, I think you need to break those things down. So go out there and meet other people and Go with an open mind, you know, maybe attend their churches or religious places or meetings, you know. I mean, I've certainly done plenty of that in my time, and I've had lots of friends that want to join in with the things that I have done, and I think, I think that's the way, that's the way through it. When you, when you go and actively participate, and you're not thinking about, oh, it has to be this way, it has to be that way, it should be, oh, how cool, oh, how different, oh, I like that. Mm, that's not quite mine, but, you know. I prefer chocolate and vanilla. I mean, who cares what it is? You know, it's okay not to like everything. 
Um, but go with an open mind and then you'll just start seeing these people of other groups, you know, as just being like, you know, your own friends. You've got a whole variety of friends too, so what? You're from India and you experienced racism because your parents moved to England. And yep. uh, so you're speaking from some real experience, some cultural experience here. The racism goes two ways. It, yes, it does, and I, I've, I've certainly seen that. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's a great answer. The bottom line is, w- with everything, whether it's your belief in politics or it's your belief uh, about gender or it, it, it's your attitude towards sexuality uh, or you, you, your attitude, you know, th- the bottom line is... If we stay within a group and hold on to those exclusive views, then we're going to be forever trapped in the other, the the mine and the other. Yeah. And, you know, that's, uh, that's the stuff that breeds intolerance. That's the stuff that breeds fear. And that's the stuff that breeds violence. I so agree with you, Rab. Dennis wrote, I just wanted to let you know I purchased your Dream Petitioning, Millionaire Orbit, and Lucid Dreaming Inner Talk programs, just to name a few. My wife was using the Millionaire Orbit the other night, and in the morning she dreamed and said to this man, Do you have the numbers I need? He quickly gave her six digits, and some were repeats. Anyway, she made some tickets for the hot lotto and won a third prize. I used the Lucid Dream CD, and in two days I had my first Lucid Dream experience. The first one in my entire life. It was surreal. I couldn't influence much, but just knowing everywhere I walked, my subconscious was creating each scene. The lucid experience just came out of nowhere. I simply looked out the window and said, and hey, am I dreaming? I am dreaming. My wife purchased also the Genius CDs, and they have been making her studies for pharmaceutical really easy to comprehend. Thanks for creating such programs. Well, thank you for sharing, Dennis. Jared wrote, I love your Intertalk CDs. They have helped me so much. And Judy wrote this about my new book, Gotcha. As Eldon says, there are likely areas in this book that will touch a chord with everyone. When we know about the games being played to manipulate us, it can be overwhelming and discouraging to the point of wanting to just give up. But knowledge is power, enabling us to resist manipulations and find effective ways to stop the loss of our basic freedoms. The alternative is to become a part of today's all-too-common wife-fight city hall apathy, devaluing our personal integrity. I agree with Eldon's belief that, quote, we are at a threshold with respect to the direction that we as individuals and on a larger scale the global world itself may go. That threshold is not so much due to an evolution as it is to a conscious revolution. A conscious revolution is not about violence. It is not about the next thing we can chase down and consume either. It is about critical thinking and mindfulness. Close quote. Judy continues, I've enjoyed reading several of Ellen's award-winning books. This one I could not put down until finished. Please read Gotcha ASAP and then share its powerful enlightenment enlightenment with everyone you know. Well, thank you, Judy. I I appreciate that comment. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. 
We truly do appreciate your feedback and support. Okay, this week's show features the official launch of my newest book, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will. Now, what we like to do with an official launch is pack up some super deals for everyone who gets a copy of the book, and this launch is no exception. So today we will be telling you all about some fabulous free gifts for everyone who gets their copy this week. And don't worry, if you have already purchased a copy, Ravinder can see that you can take advantage of this opportunity as well. In fact, she'll be telling us all about all the freebies in a later part of the show. But before we get into the special gifts and other prizes that await you, let's talk a little about the book. So, Ravinder, open us up. You read the book. You, indeed, wrote the foreword. Tell us, what do you think of this one? You know, this the whole process of this book was really fascinating to me. When you first told me what you wanted to write about, well, it didn't sound too awfully inspiring. So I wasn't overly keen on it. And then you started telling me how you were going to do it, you know, having all of these citations and everything. And I'm sorry, honey, but that sounded dull too. It's like, okay, what are we going to do with this? And then you get the book finished and um, it runs over 450 pages. And my job is always the proofing, the editing, the, all of that kind of stuff. So I don't read a book just once, you know, with uh, your... New York Times bestseller Choices and Illusions, I must have read that book word for word about 15 times. Um, so with Gotcha, I, I read the book, um, and I thought I was going to have a hard time getting through it because you look at everything, and it is full of all these citations, but it wasn't. The fact is everything in it just... There are so many things that affect all of us. They strike that chord. They affect different aspects of our life. You know, they affect our children. They affect our diets. They affect, you know, the doctors. They affect politics. They affect, I mean, it's just everything. So throughout the whole thing, everything was striking a personal chord. So yeah, 450 pages full of citations and I could not put the book down, you know, and I have read the book numerous times now and each time I get something else out of it. In fact, I, I really do believe that it's a book you need to read about once a year, maybe once every other year, just so that you don't get complacent. I think that is the biggest problem that we have with life today. You know, we are so numbed down with the more, more, more and the pressure of having to perform and having to, um, that we forget about what's important and you know, the whole journey is important. Our life is important. We are important people. You know, what we want to maximize the life experience. We don't just want to come become a carbon copy of what somebody else has stamped as this is what you should do. I don't want to fall asleep, and it's very easy to fall asleep. Very, very easy to fall asleep, you know, and, and I relate to what you're saying. One of the things that, uh, well, you remember when I wrote Mind Programming, there came a point where I just said to you, you know, this is so dark. I just don't even really want to work on this. But we were under contract with Hay House to produce the book. And and you um, you were able to encourage me in ways that brought the book to fruition. Um, 
it's very, you know, what, what you want to do is you want to remain optimistic. You want to stay focused on, on things that make you feel good. But the fact of the matter is, it's hard to live in the real world and be awake and ignore what's being done to everyone that for all intent and purposes leads them away from who they are. I genuinely don't believe you can be a spiritually aware person and fail to participate in your world. You live in the world, but you don't have to be of the world. So understanding how these things work and how you can be marched like cattle, how how all these glittering generalities can appeal to you in such a way that you go to the trough over and over again, you know, understanding that gives you the opportunity to reflect for a moment and really discover in yourself, again, who you are. We'll talk more about this. We've been talking about the new book, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will. Remember to join in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We will have a film for you at the top of the hour. You don't want to miss it. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. A silent battle has been raging for the territory of your mind. Like a virulent virus, the effects are spreading. In Gotcha, Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to manage your thinking. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. And this results in framing and reframing classical positions, causing adjustments to personal values and history itself. Your every decision process is being managed and manipulated. Gotcha exposes the arrival of the Orwellian age in full-blown technicolor. In laying bare the current uses of the many sophisticated techniques, Eldon reveals what it is we need to do in order to avoid allowing others to puppet our thoughts. For details, go to eldentaylor.com backslash gotcha. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting about the new book, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will. Now, the bumper music we just listened to is titled Club to Death from Matrix Reloaded. Usually, I ask our guests why they give us a piece of music, but in this instance, I chose it, so let me tell you why. Many people today are aware of the data mining that is rampant in our society, but they often say, so what? I have nothing to hide. Who cares? You know, well, let me share something with you that you'll find in my book, Gotcha. And some of it is quoted from the marvelous book, Lexicon, by Max Berry. But here we go. The key to the web is it's interactive. That's the difference. Online, someone visits your site. You can have a little poll there. It says, hey, what do you think about the tax cuts? And people click and segment themselves. First advantage right there. You're not just proselytizing, speaking into the void. You're getting data back. But here's the really clever part. Your site isn't static. It's dynamically generated. That means the site looks different to different people. Let's say you chose the poll option that said you're in favor of tax cuts. Well, there's a cookie on your machine now, and when you look at the site again, the articles are all about the government and wasting your money. The site is dynamically selecting content based on what you want to hear or what will piss you off. Either way, it will engage your attention and reinforce your beliefs, make you trust the site. And if you said you were against tax cuts... We'll show you stories of Republicans blocking social programs or whatever. It works every which way. Your site is made of mirrors reflecting everyone's thoughts back at them. That's pretty great, right? And we haven't even started talking about keywords. This is just the beginning. Third major advantage People who use a site like this tend to ramp up their dependence on it. Suddenly, all of those other news sources, the ones that aren't framing every story in terms of the user's core beliefs, they start to seem confusing and strange. They start to seem biased, actually, which is kind of funny. So now you've got perception with a capital P, a user who not only trusts you, you're his major source of information on what's happening in the world. Boom. You own that guy. You can tell him whatever you like, and no one's contradicting you. So if you've been one of those folks that had a so-what attitude, I hope you now have a reason to understand why it matters. Ravinder, one of your favorite complaints... Observations. I complain? I don't complain about anything. Comes from a search. You may do a search. Oh, yeah. And so you, you, you decide, you know, that you want to find something, some new food or some new vitamin or some new piece of wearing apparel or anything. And so you look, and then the next thing you see is everything that appears on your Facebook page, everything that comes back to you in literally any and every place, has got an ad in it. 
For what? Exactly what you searched for. Why do you think that happens? They're watching. They're watching everything that you do. That's that's why it happens, because they want you to go and buy. They want to learn more about you. The first time I discovered this, actually, I was looking for a birdcage. You know, of all the things to randomly pop up on your Google pages or, you know, your Facebook page are ads for bird cages. I mean, how many people out there are interested in bird cages? This isn't, you know, something everyone is seeing. This was targeted at me. I was personally targeted. And that's what these ads are. It is personal targeting. You know, they want to take your money from you. They want to influence your ideas. You have the same thing on Facebook, you know. Um, as all of my friends on Facebook are aware, you know, I care deeply about animals. And I often post cute animal stories and I probably do that way too much but I enjoy them so who cares um, <laughs> but I can also post things that are you know the animal rights type stuff and I try to keep that to a bare minimum but there was a, a short phase I, I was going through where I was doing more of that and then the friends posts that appear top of my page because you don't see everything anymore you don't see things chronologically I, you have to click it every time to re request the chronological you know you'll see the stuff that interests you the most so then for this short spell I was seeing all of my friends who were as ardent as I was about animal rights and it does it makes you feel good it makes you think oh there's hope out there people are hearing and then you realize no not necessarily that facebook is trying to get me in a place of comfort to think that facebook is the place that i can trust because there's just good pe i mean they're manipulating us from the every single direction you're being manipulated and it's infuriating little pavlovian in a way you know, there's our government has, of course, run a number of studies. Lots of studies have been run by, you know, independent uh, um, researchers, more by businesses and plenty of them by um, government entities looking at how they can plumb the unconscious. And, uh, and I, you know, one of the studies that I, I remember that, uh, you know, kind of I'm reminded of as you talk about animals and how, you know, you, some of these videos that you put up literally are pretty gross. I mean, you have to have a pretty strong stomach to, to look at them. They can actually, I mean, they, more than one has brought tears to my eyes and made me just so angry that there's a part of you that says, I just never, ever want to see that kind of thing again, you know. Um, and so I can understand why why people may even avoid dealing with that part, you know, the nasty bits of life. But the study that was brought to my mind was a study called Little Albert. I know you read about the study in the book, but this was an 11-month-old boy that researchers wanted to see if they could condition so can we condition fear? Can we can can we condition you know um, feelings of warmth and how, how, just what can we condition? So they took an eleven-month-old boy, and uh, they basically presented a, a a small animal, and to begin with it was a bunny rabbit, and the little boy was most interested, didn't frighten him at all. So. They took a very loud noise, a loud clang, and they paired it with a rabbit. And when, 
when they delivered that clang, well, the boy scared the boy, and he cried. So then they began to pair this, condition this, and every time the animal appeared, the boy would cry. So then they stopped delivering the clangs. They backed off and decided, how far can we transfer this? Can we just can we transfer it to different animals? And what they found is it transfers. It, it, the fear became a fear of un of of animals, not just a fear of rabbits. Uh, you know, there's two things that I think of when I think of that. There's all kinds of conditioning. There's aversive conditioning. That's fear. Mm-hmm. But there's also the positive conditioning, the positive conditioning that you were mentioning because all your friends, hey, they're telling you the same thing. You're doing the right thing. Feel good about this. Go forward with it, you know, which keeps you in that loop, in that cycle. And it identifies you as a kind of user, a user who is likely to donate to uh, animal rights campaigns. And, uh, And believe me, they're... Many of these uh, charities are, they hire marketing people to help them capture the dollar just as much as somebody's selling you any other product, okay? So you've been identified, and now in the in that group, we know how to target you. So you have, but the second aspect of this particular study, or most of the studies that I look at nowadays, we flush out a lot, and maybe we'll talk about some more as the show goes on, what kind of mentality does it take to think of this stuff? Who on earth would ever think about terrorizing an 11-month-old boy? I just, you know, wait a minute. What is this? You know, is this guy's name's Gebbels? No, it wasn't him. It was, it was, you know, one of our own. Uh, I just find that mentality... Contemptible. I guess that's the best. And one of the things that that we did in Gotcha was, you know, our agenda was, first of all, a wake-up call. Let's look at everything that has been developed since Edward Bernays, the father of marketing. That was the, the reason for writing the book in the first place. How far has all this propaganda gone? How, what have they done with the research? What, what can we expect that they, they know about how to motivate us? Uh, both from you know, an aversive standpoint, you want to stay away from this, and from an attraction standpoint, you want to move towards this. Like cattle, how, how have they learned to hurt us? And, you know, the reason was to wake people up. So our overall purpose in writing the book was to signal to everyone out there the most important aspect of your life is being authentic. And being authentic is not being a part of the herd or a part of the hive, if you will. But in that process, as, as, I, as I went through this stuff, I found so many places where it, I, I, my, it was you know four years worth of research where I was like, wait a minute, it's in every possible pocket. How can, they, how can these things go on? How can, how can it, 
why is it we don't know about him when, in fact, the information is public information? So at the top of the show, you said, when I told you I'm going to document this as we go along, Mm -hmm. the reason was because so many of the so-called tinfoil hat conspiracies aren't conspiracies at all. Indeed, there is solid evidence right there behind many of them. And so it became critically important to me to just document it. Let's just quote the source. Let's take the the paper. A lot of it is, uh, even though some redaction exists, it's declassified material. And we quote the documents, congressional hearings, CIA reports, etc. and so forth, uh, so that you know, you can know that this isn't conspiracy. This is something that really goes on in our society. You know, Snowden did us a favor in one regard because we have our own NSA people that have testified before Congress. Oh, we would never do that. We wouldn't, you know, collect this data and we wouldn't spy on it. And then Snowden leaks the material and they're right back in front of Congress and, well, you know, I guess. And and, and so, you know, that that was a pretty good wake-up call. Uh, but there are all these other little things. We've talked on this show about that little flashlight uh, utility yeah. you put on uh-huh. your telephone. You know, and what's its purpose? Why can you get this utility free? Because the utility exists to get information about you and to, and to forward it and then to sell it, you know. And, and, and so when, when you discover that, hey, uh, they were investigated by the government, and they said, well, this is this is why we do that. The government said, well, you know, what you're going to have to do then is tell everybody that you're doing it, you know, inform them. So now in a 40-page, you know, <laughs> agreement that nobody ever reads, you just hit, I agree, they disclose that that's what they're there for, you know. Uh, the information that's in gotcha is known information. It's not questionable information. In fact, a large part of it at some point has been made public in some way, somewhere, you know, Uh, some little snippet, some one line in a newspaper. Uh, But what you see when you assemble it together is a pattern, and it's the pattern that disturbed me. It's the pattern that for all intent and purposes says there's something going on here. And that's when I hearken back to a meeting with Cleon Skousen, former FBI, former uh, chief of police, Salt Lake City, and, and Chicago. And, and Skousen wrote this small book. And in the book, he talked about an agenda that was spelled out in the 50s. And this agenda was all about changing the complexion of America. And... Uh, you know, the agenda, for all intent and purposes, called on several things, you know. Um, the first thing that they felt was important was to break down the nuclear family. Because if you can break down a nuclear family, then you can break up a community, a neighborhood, and then a larger community, and you have people that aren't as close as they used to be. And, you know, I remember as a boy, if I went down the street and did something, kicked the neighbor's garbage can or something, I could have that neighbor escort me home uh, mm-hmm. to say nothing. Everybody tattletailed on you. You know, you, you, 
every window was a spy watching what you were doing. I remember those days. But it's not that way today. You know, you can live next door to people for years and never know who they are or what they do or anything about them. You know, uh, and, 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 and you know, we we really have, you know, in a sense, we promoted what we call that bystander effect, where we just leave it up to somebody else. It's just none of my business. You know, well, it, 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 you remember, I was in California lecturing when I said that I'd gone to the aid of the person who'd been in an automobile accident, all these people standing around doing absolutely nothing, and I couldn't believe that. And, the, and, and they said to me, the people that were in the audience, you know, almost in chorus, did you get sued? I couldn't do that. My goodness. So in a sense, we have promoted this kind of a of a separateness. Well, in 1950, that wasn't the case. But if you look today, it certainly is. Another thing that was in this agenda was what we need to do is uh, uh, we basically need to change the idea of sexuality. You know, we need, we need for all intent and purposes, and I think this is where uh, Huxley got it wrong in 1984. You know, they were going to do away with sex. We need to promote sexuality. If we can promote promiscuity and sexuality, uh, we can break down, further break down this nuclear family. We can do that. You know, we can even come up with, you know, the psychology of separation. Because after all, a, a child is better to be raised by a loving parent than in a home where parents don't get along. And all of a sudden, divorce was great. Divorce was a thing to do. You know, if you didn't get along, you kind of grew apart. Well, it was okay to get a divorce, you know. You look at the rates back then when they were writing this agenda and, and today, and you say, holy cow, is that just a coincidence again? Well, I could go on. Uh, but the bottom line is every single point spelled out of the 12 points, the 12 steps that were to be taken in changing the complexion of our society, we see have come to fruition today. And you say, well, is that coincidence or is that a pattern? And when I see the pattern, I, I am called upon to call it for what it is. Your thoughts on that? Oh, there's definitely a pattern. But first of all, you didn't mean Huxley's 84. You meant Huxley's Brave New World. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you've been, we've been talking so much, you know, ourselves about both books. So that's George Orwell's 84, right? Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, but, yeah, it is all about the pattern. But, you know, I have to tell you, while the book is very detailed and it has all of this stuff and whatever. I was actually excited when I came to the end of the book because I had the ability then to look out at the world and see all the carbon copies that are out there and realize that, hey, I have to be doing the same thing. So then I looked back at myself and I'm looking at all of my all of the beliefs, all of the things that are important to me, um, all the aspects that I thought of my as being my own individuality, realize that they're not necessarily the case. But I have the ability to peel off all of those bits that aren't me. And so, yeah, I actually found the book really exciting from that perspective because I, I could see it in everyone else, therefore it had to be in me. And therefore, I could change. And I do. I approach everything very differently these days. You talked about um, having your favorite source of news. Well, I have 
I used to have a favourite source of news. It's, it'll still be the first place I turn to, but the number of times I watch it now and I will call out in disgust, that's a tactic. That's a word game. Come on, don't do that. You know, just tell me the truth. You don't have to use those trigger words anymore because they're not triggering me anymore. They're not, they're not doing that. And I actively go out of my way to, um, watch the opposite channel. You know, often with, with the news that there are two sides of it, I will go out of my way to watch the other side to see what's their take on this. What are they doing? What games are they playing? You know, I was doing that just yesterday and it's like, come on. I'm smart enough to see through that. I saw the tactic. They were taking the mech out of one of the uh, Republican um, candidates and uh, they were trying to distort an interview. And at the very end of the interview, you could see that this candidate had won over this really, really liberal audience. He had won them over. They were just about to cheer and they cut, they edited it right there. You could hear the very first bit of it. He had them. But on this particular channel, no, they wanted to rip this candidate apart. So, and I could see all, all the, all the tactics that they had used. And it's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hear this out for myself. I am gonna, I'm gonna pay attention this entire election season. I'm gonna pay attention to both. I'm gonna hear everybody out. I want to, cause that's how you, that's how you have a chance of finding out the truth. You know, I think there are lots of people who are not paying any attention to the um, the the debates right now because they were already decided who they're going to vote for, and they're doing themselves a great disservice. I'm going to watch them all. I'm looking forward to seeing all of the Republican debates, all of the Democratic debates, the debates they have afterwards. Uh, I want to find the truth, and well, that is exciting. That's a that's a result of the book. I'm I just have a whole different perspective on the world. We have discussed on this show before the fact that functional magnetic resonance imaging shows us the subconscious is making our decisions. Indeed, that MRI tech often knows what we're going to decide six to ten seconds before we do. The only way to circumvent that, the only way to really have your own free will, the only way to exert your own volition is to discover what it is that's in your unconscious and to uncover in that process all those little primes and triggers that are used upon you that cause you to make those decisions outside of consciousness. All right. If you would like to know more about Gotcha, the subordination of free will, you can check it out at fine booksellers everywhere and online at your favorite uh, bookseller. For information about the launch party, go to eldentaylor.com. There you can learn more not just about the book, the other reviews that are there, but about all of the free gifts that can be yours when you get your copy. Now, we have a video for you during the break discussing training the consumption animal. You can view it by joining the chat room. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself? past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you, I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, now expanded, updated, and revised 
It will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High Is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we've been discussing the new book, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will. Now, the bumper music we just listened to is titled Oceana Theme, Tis for Thee, and it comes from the soundtrack of the movie 1984. One of the reviews I like most said this about my new book, Gotcha, quote, where 1984 foretells of a future, Gotcha tells us how we got there, close quote. Some of my questions for you go like this. How is political correctness different from Newspeak? How is the NSA and other spying on every phone call, etc., different from Big Brother? Those satellites in the sky, different from the TV screen? How far have we come toward actually realizing Orwell's nightmare? What do you think, Rev? How would you answer these questions? I don't think there is any difference between them. In fact, the, just how you phrased it right then, it just got me realizing they do nudge you a little bit at a time. So you read a fiction book, you read 1984, and you know, well, that stuff didn't come true. Of course it didn't, but you look out in the world and you say, hey, it did. It, it exactly did. It's exactly the same thing. Uh, political correctness and newspeak are identical. The NSA and Big Brother are identical. It's um, 
actually scary. One of the best quotes I think that you got from someone who read the book was basically, it went along the lines of, let's see if I can remember this, is 1984 told you what they could do, gotcha tells you what they did do. That's what How I they just, got there. I just read that quote. You weren't listening. You must have been tending to your chat room. Off, off in the wild blue with Ravinder in her chat room. All right. Nudges. I could have called I'm the sorry. book. I could have called the book Nudges. You know, I thought about that as opposed to a title like Gotcha. Nudges. You know, we were talking before uh, the break about this agenda uh, spelled out in the 50s, documented, you know, uh, and, and included in the book. And by the way, if you happen to get the Kindle version of this, all you have to do is every time there's a citation, if I say there's a video, you click there and bang, you get the video right on your your Kindle device. It, or you touch that footnote and wham, here here's the the document, uh, its redactions, etc., all right there on your screen. But when you look at these nudges, you know, back in the fifties, they talked about credit. We need to increase consumption. We need to train consumption. And one way to do that is credit. So in the 50s, there was there's no such thing as charge cards, you know. Um, if you had debt, maybe it was on a mortgage uh, or a farm. But, you know, you pay cash for everything else. Then along came the 10% down. You, you could buy something on time with 10% down. Now, certain things, you know, you could buy cars and you could buy, you know, your siding for your home, 10% down. But you still had that 10% down. And then it came no money down. And then it came, you know, unlimited credit. And uh, why would they do that? What, what was the big deal there? You know, I had the opportunity to associate for some time with uh with a fellow that controlled quite a bit of money, a couple of trusts, uh, large trusts. And he said to me, Ellen, I, I want you to think about it this way. If somebody comes to your door and they knock on your door and they say, you know, I kind of like this place. I'm just going to take your stuff. You're going to fight them. You're going to resist them. You're going to get a gun. You're going to do something. You're not going to just let them have it. But if they come to your door with a piece of paper and they say to you, you know, you didn't keep your word. You defaulted on your loan. We're going to have to repossess. You're going to lower your head. Walk away in shame. And that is a method of redistribution. Now, you think about the housing debacle and how many people lost their homes and their properties and their life savings and everything else. I mean, you think, think about the redistribution of wealth that's gone on. And you realize that today there are some 80 families that control 90, 95% of the world's wealth. Is that too just a coincidence? But we get nudged a little bit at a time. You know, we, we see values change a little bit at a time. Um, and sometimes that's good. You know, some values should have changed. You know, our attitudes in the 50s towards um, sexist kinds of things towards uh, you know gender and, and race you know they, they obviously they were wrong completely wrong but some things on the other hand those other values they have kept the fabric of our culture together 
But today we have something that, you know, I find very distasteful. It's called cultural relativity. Anyone that's a regular listener of this show knows that those New Agers that come in here pompous with the idea that, you know, bad guys just made an agreement in heaven to be bad and what happens to a person, well, that's their their karma and, you know, I have a real problem with that, you know. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, like those two young girls we talked about a couple of weeks ago in India yeah. who were sentenced to be raped, one fifteen, the other one twenty-three, to be raped and then publicly paraded naked with their faces painted black because their brother ran away with a married woman. What kind of insanity is that? What father or mother would ever allow such a thing? I, I to me, don't tell me that that that's okay because that's the culture. It's not okay. There is a moral imperative that provides that every human being, their life is sacred. They should have the right, as you say, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to the extent that it doesn't infringe on another human being. So we find ourselves, however, where this whole notion of cultural relativity has broken down a lot of the values. You can look at Religion, and many people look at religion as Sigmund Freud did, a sugar-coated neurotic crutch, and other people look at religion as just a organization out to, you know, gain more power, etc. Uh, but there are many good things about religion. Many, many good things. I heard the president this morning welcome the Pope and addressing some of the things the Catholic community provides. And, you know, they're always there feeding and, and providing homes for the poor. They build hospitals. They build schools. Uh, most important thing, when, when a person has a belief, a, a moral belief, and, you know, our moral beliefs basically come from religion, we're not taught ethics in school. We don't have, you know, from kindergarten to 12 courses, classes in morality or ethical philosophy. Uh, so our, our, our value systems basically come from, from our belief, our spiritual religious beliefs. When you subtract a value, when you take that value away, when a person says, oh, yeah, well, I, I don't believe that, they step away from all the other values because in eliminating the one, they're saying, well, then all the others aren't true or all the others aren't valid. Okay, maybe we should do that. I have no argument with whether or not we should, but if we're going to do it, we should be doing it wide awake and well aware of exactly what we're doing. In a sense, we're eroding a whole system of beliefs that we may have that we're not prepared to erode. Maybe, on the other hand, if we're wide awake, we can take the bricks out of the foundation and not lose the overall support. Those bricks, those parts that aren't part of um, parcel of what we really want to hang on to and believe. But if we're not aware, if we're not awake, if we're not alert to what's going on here, we just simply take it all. 
we we accept it. Uh, we throw the baby out with the proverbial bathwater. Does that make sense to you, Ravinder? It most certainly does. And, you know, isn't that the aim of the whole book, Gotcha? It's about waking up. Well, now listen, waking up. I have my definition of gotcha. I like your definition. What is it? Gotcha in your book. A gotcha is when you do something that they want you to do, but you think you're doing it because it's what you want to do. It's, uh, yeah, they managed to get all the way in there and change how you think. So you're perfectly happy doing something that, and you haven't stopped to think, hang on, that doesn't really suit me. When they've got you to want what it is that they want, that's what I think of as a gotcha, and it happens all the time. We're, we're seeing it more and more, actually. I think with all the social networking that goes on, and you know, everyone is just jumping on the bandwagon and agreeing with the same things, and away they go. They're not stopping to think about, hey, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not right. There are lots of psychological ways that we get moved. <clears throat> And, 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 you know, I guess I'm going to come back to that foundation. You know, I said take a brick out instead of wash the whole foundation away. Uh, but, you know, the fact of the matter is one of your favorites is the waitress in red. I do. I want you to share some of those psychological tools because I find them really fascinating, especially when you then turn and pay attention to what they're doing now and I start to think, well, which tactics are they using? Are they using this one and this one? What else is there? So, yeah, share s- some of those with everyone because yeah, it's fun. It, well, it's not fun, really. It's just really interesting. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, you know, I, I think everybody, you know, that listens to our show regularly knows that, um, you know, this is an area that I have spent a great deal of time and energy and research on. But billions and billions of dollars, uh, maybe even trillions today, have been spent, uh, you know, attempting to understand um, how we can be manipulated, how we can be moved out of awareness, you know. Edward Bernays fathered uh, this whole idea of scientific marketing. And, of course, in those days, it was about, you know, some primitive devices for all intent and purposes. It might have been a blood pressure cough or a galvanic skin response. Today, it'll employ everything from eye movement tracking to fMRI, uh, where the brain is watched lifetime. Indeed, they discovered that uh, a smoker, a cigarette smoker, uh, when shown a pack of cigarettes with a surgeon journal, a general's warning on it, the, the reward center in the brain lit up, to use the words of PET and MRI. Um, oxygen, you know, it, it became excited, uh, meaning that the smoker, it caused the smoker to want to smoke more. So, hey, what's the answer? If you're a marketing genius, that's pretty easy. Put it on both sides of the pack and bold it and maybe red, you know. Make sure they see it. Well, these kinds of strategies and techniques are used by anyone and everyone with sufficient uh, resources uh, that wants to sell you a product or a a plank in a political platform. So we see in the last presidential election, President Obama um, employed what social psychologists consider to be an elite team. Went out and got the best of those folks who lean toward his form of politics, 
um, involved in social psychology, packed them together, and uh, they literally scripted every word his telephone canvassers used, his canvassers in person used, uh, his messaging, uh, even assisted in preparing him for the debate. One of them played around with... Uh, the search engines and following the election, there was a study published that he authored that demonstrated that you could persuade people by how the search engine ranked things. And so a simple matter of manipulating search engine results persuaded people. Indeed, some of that work now shows us that if someone likes uh, a posting, say, on Facebook, you are more likely to like it as well. Now, if they dislike it, it doesn't seem to influence you toward disliking, but you can be easily influenced toward following the like crowd. Okay? A lot of people today don't even pay attention to to the materialist, and you know that I've used my own Facebook to do some research, and you can post something that has a label, a title, something that says, you know, meditation is uh, increases intelligence, but it leads to an article that shows that this particular form of mindfulness meditation actually creates false memories. And people are commenting on the headline. They're never reading what's behind that headline. So we have become so infiltrated with all this information that we don't even process it as consciously as we might think we do it when it's written. But look, let's take some subtle primes. Let's assume I sit you at the table and I say, Ravinder, you know, I, I'm really, I, I want to run a uh, survey, if you would. I want you to participate in this survey. We're looking at values because we know this is an election year and we're just seeking, you know, the most important values. Now, just about everybody sees these surveys come around, and sometimes they also have a donation punch at the end, and, you know, that survey has been tailor-made just for you. They've already profiled you, you know, and you're going to have this question that says, are you against, and you? they know you are, and you're going to say, I sure am. You're going to check that one, and are you in favor, and they already know you're in favor, and you're going, yeah. And so when they get to the bottom, they're going to say, you know, we need your help. You know, donate. If you don't, if you want to see these things happen and these other things stop, you know, all that. So, okay, I sat you down to take a survey, right? But let's assume I want to persuade you. Uh, well, let's, let's just do it this way. I get a survey from you. Then I bring you back a week later and I sit you down for the same survey. Questions modified a little bit, but same survey. This time, however, on the table, I have a picture of children, or I have a jar of hand sanitizer. It will skew your answers from your first survey toward the conservative side. Why will it do that? How is that possible? Well, think about that. That jar of hand sanitizer, what's it say? Danger, germs, watch out, disease, be careful, caution. And, and, and all those are the words of what? The conservative, you see. So, But here's the interesting thing. Once you have skewed, I can say to you, but you know, this survey is different than the one you took over here. You will 
justify why you did that. You will come in with all the reasons and all the power, and you'll rationalize it away, and you'll tell me how important it was. In fact, research has shown we can take four automobiles, new automobiles. We can drape a pretty lady in a bikini over one and have you rate the fastest car. Almost invariably, men will choose the car with the the pretty woman on it. If you've ever wondered why there's a pretty woman draped on these automobiles, here it is, okay? Bring it back a week later and ask you to choose the fastest automobile. We'll have the same four automobiles there, different colors, but the same makes, and we'll put this model on a different car. You'll choose the one with the model again, and when we point out to you that you're choosing the model, not the car, You'll rationalize that all away. Oh, no, no, I didn't notice that. And the reason I think this car is faster is as opposed to admit that these subconscious, these unconscious processes are actually controlling you. We, we live in a world where we're easily manipulated, and we're easily manipulated for a variety of reasons. And one of them is we have just simply stopped paying attention. We have just simply numb dumbed ourselves down you know there is so much to process so much to do so that we everything is in a hurry everything is very quickly everything is taken for granted product placement is all about taking advantage of that the number of times you're going to see an apple computer in the middle of a movie in the middle of a tv set in the middle of a commercial that has absolutely nothing to do with any of the above I tell you, Apple is very good. They know where to spend their advertising dollars. And that that Apple computer that you didn't see, that subliminal, that, you know, that computer top that had that nice little Apple on the back side of it, that sells so many computers for Apple. Automobile dealers do that all the time. You know, you, you think about the Secret Service, you think about, you know, the nasty bad guys, and what do you think about that black Cadillac Escalade, don't you? You see that big emblem on the front. So when you, when you think about a power car, do you think about a black Escalade? Well, of course you do. All of this kind of thing is packed up. The bottom line is, we are manipulated through all sorts of primes and frames and definitions. You know, that's something that we really need to talk about, too. We need to talk about how, how newspeak is entering our culture. We're in an election year. And, you know, one of the issues in this election is all about immigrants. Now... There was a political candidate that said illegal immigrants are criminals. Well, let's think about that. An illegal immigrant. Well, that means they broke a law. You know, they came into the country without, oh, okay, so I guess they are criminals, aren't they? But then the other side says, oh, no, no, we need to change. We need to frame, reframe this. How can a person be illegal? It's not illegal to be human. They're human <laughs> beings. They, they're undocumented. Now, the minute that language gets changed, the minute it becomes politically correct speech to no longer refer to an illegal alien as an illegal alien, rather as an undocumented alien, what's happened? The argument has changed. I've said for years and years, and you know this, if you control the definition, you control the argument. 
Well, there's a world of difference between being an undocumented person and an illegal person. A world of difference between, you know, if I say to you, my desk is rectangular, that presupposes it's not also round. If I say it's a illegal, that presupposes criminality. Whether it's innocent criminality or not, it's still criminality. Okay? But if it's undocumented, well, maybe they lost their papers. I mean, we don't know. Everything, the whole complexion has changed. You get that message, don't you? All right. We have a break. We're glad you tuned in today. We know you have many choices, and we're grateful you chose to join us. We love your feedback, so please join me on Facebook or drop me an email at eldon at eldontaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N. I love sharing your letters and comments on the show, and that's a great way for you to participate. We'll be right back following this short break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Gotcha. The explosive new book by New York Times bestselling author Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to win the hearts and minds of the public. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. Your very decision process is being managed and manipulated, and the quest for discovering your real self becomes exponentially more difficult, if not impossible, as a result. Pre-order now. EldonTaylor.com slash gotcha. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show. Impractic beat singing, the impossible dream. Uit de musical The Man van La Mancha. Geef ze een enorme applaus. De Platin Tanners! To dream the impossible dream. To fight the unbeatable fall. To bear.
Welcome back. We've been chatting about the new book, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will. Now we just played The Impossible Dream by the Andre Rue Tenors. Why this piece of music? Because I believe that every one of us holds this dream close to our hearts, and what's more, I know that within each and every one of you there exists an untapped power, a potential that can change the world, one person, one deed, one act, one choice at a time. Gotcha is a wake-up call. It's not an announcement of doom, but rather a drumbeat for action. It urges each and every one of us to get involved. And I know that together we can make the difference that ensures the kind of world we want for our children, our grandchildren, and generations to follow. Okay, Ravinder, tell us about this special launch and all of the free stuff. You know, we have the big launch party going off right now, and there are lots of free gifts. I think there's about 50 different ones in different categories from success and, you know, relationships and health and healing. But some of my favorite ones are, um, what is it that we have? Stephen Halpern. You use some of his music on some of the Inner Talk programs. It is the most inspiring, gorgeous. But apparently he's giving a free MP3 download of his Mindful Piano uh, music. Well, the album is from the album. So, you know, that that is really cool because if ever you want music to soothe your soul, that's the place to go. And then He is an incredible musician. He is, without a doubt, my favorite musician out there i love his work period and a quotation it is absolutely divine and yeah you always want that place of peace you know that place of balance and harmony and his ancient echoes uh-huh. has been my meditation music uh i guess now for about 20 years ever since <laughs> i lost my rana that your brother-in-law was supposed to do for me. <laughs> yeah, I'll be on him for that. But also, back to the gifts, Ariel Ford, you know, she does all the uh, relationship stuff. Well, you can get a free ebook of hers, Love on the Other Side. So that is um, a great value, too, because that book's out in the stores right now, I believe. It is. Pretty, it's... Yeah. So that is cool. But then also we have a couple of drawings as well. You can uh, enter your name to win different prizes. And one of them is, of course, a customized Inner Talk library. That is the $500 value. You can basically choose the programs that you want. So that's the antidote to all of this stuff. You know, start thinking the thoughts that you choose to have as opposed to the thoughts that they want you to have. And that's what Inner Talk's about. So you can enter for a chance. There's actually a, a couple of opportunities to win a $500 customized, personalized Inner Talk library. And then you can also, there's a drawing for a uh, t- private telephone consultation with Dr. Norman Sheely. We've used a bunch of his stuff. You know, I'm always going to him. He's my reference person for anything health related and there are you know various supplements that you take every day just based on what dr sheely has said but uh, you can have as solid as they come he's been on our show three or four times and he's he's always bringing us something new something yeah definitely but you can have uh you can enter a drawing there to have a private consultation with dr sheely so that is uh absolutely invaluable 
So yeah, but as I said, there is a whole variety of gifts and I could go on and on about that and I'd much rather talk about the book. Um, but do go to eldentaylor.com. You'll see the link right there. You click on that link, you register, you sign up, whatever. Um, and then, uh, the link, you're talking about the, the banner that says gotcha. Yep. Okay. Yep, right. And we make it very simple and easy, or we try to. So, yeah, and then you can go check out all the gifts beforehand, too, and decide what you want to do. But um, it's a whole lot of fun. It's party time. It's party book launch time. So uh, do go check it out and okay, now, join in the fun. You know, we have had, uh, we had a number uh, of supporters get involved in pre-ordering the book before the book was ever available yes and i want to make sure that they all can access these gifts as well so what do they need to do to get those gifts i mean do they need to email you to get a number or something what do they need you to know do? basically all of these gifts are available once you purchased a copy of the book so you can just include the order number on the form and it'll, it'll take you right in but i will also be sending out a separate email to everyone who pre-ordered and providing a fast link into it all as so well. So they'll so. all be able to take advantage of it as well. Most certainly they will. Okay, and I had a I had a request today. I had, well actually I had several yesterday and then I had one today so we decided well we'll deal with that also. When you when you go to my site, eldentaylor.com and you click on gotcha you get to see everything. But typically you're being guided to uh, Books a Million, Amazon, Barnes and Noble to to make uh-huh. the purchase, okay, and th- and that's good, yeah. But the request that I'm having is people still want autographed copies made to them, and I'm happy to do that, but I can't do it when you're buying it from Amazon or somewhere else. So if you want to do that, call my office, tell them you know I want to get it. I heard Eldon uh, say that it was available on the air. Um, my toll-free number is one eight hundred. Nine six four three five five one. If you're in the United States, if you're out of country, use your area code, uh, your country code, and it's five zero nine area code two nine nine three three seven seven. And you can order your autographed copy. I'm happy to do that. I'm thrilled to do that. I really appreciate, indeed, the opportunity to do that. What else have you got there besides your waitress in red? The waitress in red. I, yeah, I want you to talk about this. We were talking about all the psychological primes and everything and you missed my favorite one because there are lots of these in gotcha and they are really really interesting but my favorite one is that if your waitress wears red you will tip her more and it doesn't matter if you are male or female it doesn't matter if the waitress is pretty or not so pretty or young Young or old. old or anything if she's wearing red you will tip her more. So my question right now is, do you think that is why when Donald Trump is out stumping, you know, doing all his speeches and whatever, he is wearing a red baseball cap? You do you don't. think that plays any role in any of this? I, I don't think there's any such thing as accident at that level of activity, okay? And, you know, we we understand color has a direct influence on people. Um so you can look at it this way. Well, think of it. One of the things that we discuss in the book is placebos. 
in fact, most people aren't aware that it's a common practice in the United Kingdom to prescribe placebos. Over 90% of the doctors report that they prescribe placebos. In the United States, more than 50% of the physicians report that they have prescribed a placebo. They don't tell you it's a placebo, but, you know, they're basically giving you their version of a sugar pill um, and sending you home because they're discounting what you're telling them of your symptoms, etc. Quick question for you. I hope these are generic placebos, so placebos, so we're not paying vast amounts for them at the same time. Uh, that's Sorry. a good point. <laughs> but while we're on the subject of placebo and color, think of it this way. We know that if we give you a plain white pill, that you get that old-fashioned, typical placebo effect, given that it's delivered to you by the authority in all sincerity. The doctor says, take this, take take one night and evening, and you'll feel better in three days. 20%, 25% of the people will, okay? But we, if we put an initial on that pill, well, its efficacy increases. If we make it a capsule, the efficacy increases even more. If we colorize the capsule and we even know what color we get still greater benefit. That's how important our perception of color is. So none of this. If you saw the Republican debate, you saw a dress code. Now you can count that they did not. Wait a minute. (laughs) CNN did not pass out instructions to everybody and say, we want you to wear a black suit with a white shirt and a red tie. But that's exactly what you saw up there. There was one tie that was a little, it wasn't red-red, it was a pinkish red. But And there may have been one suit that was a dark, 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 dark navy blue, but it was black, white, and red. Why is that? What is it, you know, that causes us to perceive in the way we, the bottom line is, without getting into a whole lot of mumbo-jumbo, Understanding that these things exist, understanding that they motivate us unconsciously, that's what the book is designed to to bring to your attention. Realize that that waitress in red is indeed in likelihood going to increase what you tip. Realize that if if you're in a room and there are credit card signs in that room, you are more likely to spend more money. You are more likely to give more money to a charity if they include credit card pictures in their offering. We are just easily moved by all of these unconscious processes. Uh, You know, one of my favorite areas to look at when you talk about this kind of unconscious prime is entertainment. When you think about the entertainment we sit down to see, now our sons both love this, uh, How I Met My Wife. Uh, How I Met Your Mother. There you go, How I Met Your Mother. It was a story, episode, 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 I don't know how many episodes we watched on (laughs) Netflix, that was about serial polygamy. I mean, you know, the bottom line was they just went from one girlfriend to the next boyfriend to the next or the next or the next or the next. It was every week was an episode about sexuality. True or false? It most certainly is. What, what is the subliminal message in that? 
you know, what, what are you saying? I mean, okay, you know, I don't want to be a prude, but I mean, the bottom line is that was a show that promoted promiscuity. It was funny. It you you laughed. It was kind of, our comedians have great power. Our comedians actually can you know distort a, a target in such a way that they never overcome it. Sarah Palin never said, I see Russia from my kitchen. But they did such a great job on Saturday Night Live with that. It's still parroted to this day, you know. Uh, these this, this kind of activity influences us on a regular basis. Most people, you know, we watched West Wing. I liked West Wing. I liked mm-hmm. Newsroom. But, you know, these are shows that are scripted by democratic activists uh, or even former members of President Obama's staff. So there is a there is a underlying motive. You know, our government pr- produced more than 30 full length motion pictures during World War Two designed to win the hearts and minds of Americans to gain the support behind the war. We actually created a department whose purpose was to infiltrate media, to put out the sound bites. And at one point, they joked that they had the Wurlitzer button. Now, Wurlitzer built these old jukebox machines. And you probably don't remember them because you weren't in the States when they were popular. But in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you could walk into a restaurant, feed it a quarter, you know, choose three songs, B10 and an A4, okay? That, that machine was made by Wurlitzer. They joked that they had the Wurlitzer jukebox. They could push a button and every station in the country would play their music, would play their soundbite. There's no... I mean, we don't tend to think that you have intelligence people uh, working inside publishing companies, working inside... Uh, TV and radio uh, companies uh, looking at what kind of news is going out, what's being said. But you know this for a fact. You've been there. One of my favorite things to do in live presentations is to take six minutes of that presentation to show the same soundbite being said over and over yeah. by every news agency in the country from... San Leandro to to uh, Miami, Florida, from Boston, Massachusetts to Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, exactly the same thing. But here's the real good part. So you don't think that this is, you know, they're just, they're acted out. They get up there and they're saying it and they're saying as though it's original, their hand movement, their body gestures, the, the way they punctuate it with a voice. They're, every one of these news anchors are acting it out as though it is completely original and coming totally from them. And plus or minus a word in an entire paragraph, it'll be the same thing over and over and over and over and over, like the Wurlitzer jukebox. goes on every day. I mean, I find this whole area of entertainment and the influence it has on us... Uh, really interesting. I've been watching television very differently ever since then. I mean, we don't actually watch much TV these days. We tend to rent movies or 
get stuff from Stay Netflix away from the instead. Commercials. But that's the only because the that commercials you're are selling sickness for the most part. You know, or they're selling deficiency. That's a one big message in a commercial: deficiency. You're deficient. Because if you're not deficient, you don't need but it. But you can't avoid the influence because it's going to be through TV. I mean, didn't President Obama say himself that the writers of West Wing wrote how he would like to be able to speak anyway? Exactly. I mean, he complimented it. He loved it. Um, you know, it would definitely have an influence on the voting public. Um, but it's not only in the political arenas. You One see of the them. writers, before you jump okay. from that, for West Wing was the former White House aide, uh, David Remick. Uh, yes. You know, uh, so he reported in Obama's uh, biography that, you know, uh, this was scripted. Uh, Sorkin is, of course, a... Well, the bottom line is, hey, look. It's a whole variation and, on And I don't want anybody ad. to get an idea here that, you know... This is a liberal issue, or this is a no. a um, conservative issue, because it goes on on both sides of the aisle. It goes on uh, from one company to another company, regardless of what they're trying to sell you, from Nabisco crackers to the latest pharmaceutical, uh, you know, magic drug. Uh, everyone that has an interest in selling you once again a product or a plank in a platform. They're going to utilize these tools, so it, it, it's 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 not it's not something that is aimed at a party or a company. This is the state of where merchandising has gone in this country. It is, and it's not only merchandising products; it's merchandising ideas. So, what I would caution everyone out there is: if you start seeing the same theme played out over and over again stop and think you know what is it they're trying to get me to do how are they trying to change my thinking what thoughts is it that they want me to have on this particular subject you know and it doesn't matter what kind of tv show that you watch it doesn't have to be political we just finished watching 11 seasons of gray's anatomy and boring it's full I wouldn't say that it's boring, it was fun, but it is full of, you know, things that what do change do your you. attitudes. I know you love me, but but it does, it changes your attitudes over everything. And, you know, when I watch that now, and it's like, oh my gosh, you've only just gotten out of a relationship. Why are you jumping into bed with somebody else? What are they trying to say, that we are just all crazy animals and have to have sex right away and... Thoughts and feelings don't matter anymore. Most certainly they are. You watch TV out there and there is just so much sex everywhere that, you know, the people just, they they can't help themselves. They have to have it right now and it doesn't matter how much it compromises their beliefs. How many relationships on Grey's Anatomy got screwed up because... You know, a couple breaks up and then they go have an affair with somebody else and then they try to get back together, but the woman sees the guy with somebody else or the guy sees a woman with, and they just don't manage to, but then they go off and have another relationship and then they eventually get together, but they get messed up because they're just wild animals. They're just, they're just wild animals. But you, we're seeing now this. Now you know why I started having two glasses of wine. But we're seeing this across the board on te- on television in general. You know, there is more and more sex. There are, you know, changes in values. Now, as you said, some of the changes need to happen. But 
I can't help but think, you know, it wasn't that long ago, wasn't it? Within 10 years, definitely, about five years ago, where California voted against gay marriage. But today, it passed, you know, there, there was just a huge switch in, in values. I'm not saying that, you know, that change wasn't good, but how much more of it have you seen on TV with Grey's Anatomy? You know, you watch um, Arizona and the other girl, and it's like, of course they should have equal rights, most definitely. You know, we want to start thinking for ourselves. I'm not, I'm not trying to get into a political area, but entertainment is being used to, to move you. So if you see that these themes being played out more and more, Stop and think and decide what it is that you want to do. Don't just think what they want you to think. Well, as we said earlier, you know, most of this comes about as nudging. You're nudged a little bit at a time. And, uh, you know, sometimes the nudging is political correctness. And political correctness necessarily redefines the situation. So we're not illegal. We're undocumented. Um Maybe, you know, as Janet Napolitano did in her dictionary, which she recalled very quickly, you you overreach. And so you identify supporters of the Second Amendment, including vets coming home from uh, Iraq, as potential terrorists. And that, of course, that overreach embarrasses you and you call it back. But the idea is, if I can marginalize you by a definition, I will. We're just simply out of time, Ravinder. We've got to get out of here. Look, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show. I hope you enjoy the book. Do let me know what you think. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.